All right, Josh Smith here, live at my Flat 5 Studios. Uh, today's guest is a good friend of mine and an, just an incredibly great musician and guitar player. Um, you've probably seen him on the road with a ton of amazing acts like Melissa Etheridge and Chris Cornell. And I mean, I, I could literally you know, recite the list for about 10 minutes if I felt like it. <laughs> He's played with a lot of guys. He's also built up a really, really amazing YouTube channel and amount of content where he's one of the most resourceful and useful guys to players like myself. I go all the time if I want to check something out. The first thing I do is see what you thought of it or see if you have a video because I know from your videos I will be able to tell if I would dig something or not, you know? And so what a, what a useful resource. But anyways, dude, I'm just so glad that we've connected over the years and gotten to hang at least a little bit. I hope we get to do that more because you really are one of my favorite players and one of my favorite dudes. So... Everybody, please welcome the great Pete Thorne. What's up, man? Hey, thank you so much, man. For a minute there, I thought you were talking about Jimmy back there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He's going to hang out with us. Um, yeah. Hey, man, thank you so much for that uh, intro. I mean, I'm always uh, completely blown away and enamored with your guitar playing and everything I see you do. So it's a, it's a real, it's always an honor. And I, and I miss you. And it's like, I, I was we were just talking before we started uh the show here about that, that you just got to play four nights in a row yeah. in la and you'd be getting out and playing a little bit and stuff and that makes me happy because i know you the last time we spoke you were really missing it and so at least yeah. it's a little bit of getting out there and doing it eh? and, yeah i mean you know like 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 you were saying before we hit record you know as much as you do all those videos and i was doing a bunch all during the first half of this pandemic and normally that's like just a chunk of what we are not the entire pie you know, so yeah. it's like, it's weird when you've got to get all your, not that we're complaining, anything I do playing guitar any day is a great day, but yeah, it's like, we're used to a certain way and we, we kind of associate our, a certain thing with ourselves personally. And yeah, it gets changed. You got to adjust. It's just the way it is. Everybody's had to. Sure. Yeah. It's yeah. That balance of like doing what we do in these rooms and, and then uh, getting out there and playing I and mean, you're literally sitting there in a room you know it's like that's a beautiful thing and then you got to you know it's it's like a, almost like a 50 50 for me like i love being in the studio and that's morphed into doing these videos and youtube and kind of like a different angle but mm -hmm. i'm still sitting here playing guitar and recording music no matter what um yeah. doing that balance with the fun of travel and the energy of a crowd and feedback from people and and just enjoying that whole experience has been my uh really the last 25 years or something you know so it's like to not uh to all of a sudden stop it's just weird but everybody you know we we recognize of course too that everybody's going through that in their own way just like everybody's had disruptions with i mean just when i think about i don't have kids when i think about folks with kids mm -hmm. and what they went through over the last you know like having to homeschool and learn that whole and the kids and how they have to adjust they're used to going to school and being around their friends and stuff and all of a sudden they couldn't and you know it's just all these adjustments so yep it's a crazy time you know yeah everybody's had to deal with it in their own way and yeah it's it's affected you know every op occupation in a different way so yep. like you said like for me the thing yeah it wasn't even just the gigs that i missed the most it was like the the improvisational aspect of the gig like i mm -hmm. need that that's my drug like i need to be improving somewhere with other musicians and yeah to have that taken away was like a large part of my identity was just boop, gone. Yeah. You know, 
you know, we don't. It's not very fun to improv by yourself in a vacuum. Like it's just a different thing, you know. So. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Like that's what you kind of. It's funny because that actually hasn't been most of what I've done in my guitar. Like the guitar can be so many different things, and music sure, can be yeah. so many different things. You know, but that being your like the constant new feeding off of um, other musicians, as well as a different room, a different crowd, and seeing where that takes you. Yeah. A, you know, and I, I get that too because I do some of that. But you really live in that world. It's kind of, I mean, for me, that's sort of what it's like touring is like improv it's like when you're in a new city and a new, okay i gotta find my coffee shop for today and what am i gonna have for lunch and what's down this street over here and what's down that's like improv <laughs> yeah you know yeah. and i love that too so it's like that aspect of it is uh God, it's just the whole thing it's, uh, yeah. some people don't enjoy the road i think they don't and you can tell when you get in a band and you go on tour with folks, like sometimes people will stay in more or they feel like, oh, I've done it. I've been to Paris a million times. I'm not going to go out <laughs> yes. that. or that kind of thing. And I understand that because it's just like different types of people. And as you age, you know, you can, it can change yourself, what you're interested in. I still feed off that. Like, I really, really enjoy that. Like getting into like, I'll wear out a pair of shoes, you know, yeah. when I'm on just within a few months, you know, on tour, I just walk and walk and walk. And I love that being in some weird place and seeing where it takes me that's kind of like improv i guess <laughs> it, it absolutely is yeah so so okay i start all these off by kind of asking everybody about their family and whether they come from a musical family and how the guitar ended up in their hands the first time i don't know this story for you for me it was completely random i'm not from a musical family at all so what was your i know you're you're from canada did you have any musicians in your family and who put the guitar in your hand first no, my folks listen to music, but my, my dad really always liked country music. Um, so, you know, when I grew up, it was a lot of like, I heard a lot of like George Jones and Charlie Pride and stuff like that around, you know, from listening to my dad. And he, and he liked 50s rock too. So, so I was hearing that growing up. Um, but there, I think it was, to be honest, it was hearing the Charlie Daniels band and the devil came down from Georgia. And I was like, I don't know, like when I was nine or so, and I was like, I want to do that. Like I probably saw him on TV. I don't remember exactly where I heard it, but the fiddle, you know? And so I wanted a violin all of a sudden. So my parents got me a violin, student violin, you know, and they found a great teacher. He was a super nice, super nice guy, older guy. I mean, he would have been almost probably 70 or something when I started taking lessons. I was like nine, mm -hmm. but he got me interested in it, it, you know, and it, it was more like it wasn't violin. I was playing fiddle. I, I was learning like jigs and stuff, you know. Yeah. And uh, and so I did that for about a year. And then a kid moved in. So, so now I got the music bug a little bit. And I, and I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. I wasn't, it wasn't like I was obsessed with it, but I enjoyed okay. it. Uh, yeah. And so um, so then he, he uh, well, okay, let's see. About a year later, a kid moves into my neighborhood. And he was from... Uh, uh vancouver and his dad had gotten transferred to edmonton for business so um he moves into my hood he's 14 i think and i'm like 10 and he uh was uh it, when i think back on it he, he was very very like just advanced beyond his years when it came to his listening tastes as well as musically he could play a few different instruments he played keys was his main instrument he was really good but he had this massive record collection I mean, one of those big, you know, where it's just like a couple walls of albums, you know, and his musical knowledge was deep. And he's got me all of a sudden. Well, he, he was nice enough to 
to hang out with me because I'm a few years younger than him. Mm -hmm. And I think he had trouble making friends because maybe he was so, he was a little wacky. He was like so kind of different with this advanced musical taste. Maybe other, maybe he just didn't relate to other kids. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't hanging out with a lot of other kids his age in the neighborhood and I would come around and he'd be like nice enough to hang out with me. And he kind of schooled me in how to listen and how to, um, how to discover music, you know? So, you know, he'd sit me down, put the headphones on my head and like put on Sgt. Peppers or something and hand me the LP wow. jacket and go, now don't, he kind of like a parent, he'd be like, or like an older brother, I guess he'd be like, you don't have to fidget around, like don't screw around, just sit there with and listen, you know, and read this while you're listening. I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> do it, you know? And I'd be like, wow, it's amazing. I'm discovering all this music all of a sudden. So, I mean, it was everything from uh, The Who to Van Morrison to The Beatles to The Beach Boys. He was really into The Beach Boys. And he had a lot of, you know, so I was all of a sudden listening to Pet Sounds and all these amazing records. And, uh, but he was not, he was a little bit of a snob too, a little bit of an elitist. And he wasn't into uh, any kind of hard rock or metal. That that was stupid to him. He was more like, uh, he was was a a total mod if it came to, you know, as opposed to the rockers, you know? Well, my sister was the rocker and she's a few years older than me. And she started listening to, she got really into like that uh, second wave of, you know, like British heavy metal. And uh, so she was into Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and Thin Lizzy and like all kinds of stuff coming over from that side of the pond. She's listening to that. Well, he didn't like that stuff, but I kind of like that stuff. So like, I'm listening to that too, but I'm keeping that, you know. (laughs) And so I'm getting my vast majority of musical stuff from from this guy, Bob. And then my sister's like the metal and hard rock side of it. I'm hearing that too. So I want to pick up a guitar now because I'm listening to all this music. I want to play guitar. And the first song he ever showed me on the guitar was uh, Can't Explain by The Who. Oh, wow. So he shows me the power chords. I'm like, I can do that. Like, I could I could do it. It was like, wow, it sounds like the song, you know? It's that always had an impression. Like, from day one, I could make something that sounded like music and like a song that I knew. And I was a, a really big Who fan. So, uh, like, The Who and The Beatles were kind of my big initial influences so uh so i'm taking the violin lessons all this time and uh the violin teacher he doesn't know how to play guitar so he says i'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine that's a good really good guitar player music instructor and that was a fellow named terry mcdade in in my hometown now he's terry's a bit of a musical legend in edmonton um he plays numerous different instruments uh and he's been teaching for god his whole life i think he plays the harp really beautifully and he's one of the only people I've ever met that plays harp. And he actually teaches harp in Edmonton. And he 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 owns probably like like twelve or fifteen harps or something. And he rents them to his students because where do you buy a harp, right? right. And, uh, you know. So he's he's a deep dude, and his whole family uh, are musicians. And they've actually uh, they're they're uh, they used to be called the McDade Family Band, uh, and then they went on to just be called the McDades. And they've actually won Junos up in Canada and stuff for uh, you know the really like amazing amazing uh, group of players and it's kind of traditional but they've modernized you know the sound a little bit there's you know daughter plays violin beautifully she's awesome and you know there's mandolins and stuff they're just a really really interesting group of musicians so I get involved with this very musical family and he was such a great influence on me and he's really one that um long story short sort of steered me down some great roads and gave me the uh at least initially the confidence that this is something that I could do if I loved it. He could see that I loved it. And uh, I, in a city like Edmonton, which was a bit, um, 
like being a professional musician was maybe not you know that didn't seem like to a lot of folks there that that was a legit career path especially not at that point right and like like probably from a lot of towns like oh you're gonna get a real job you know music's just for fun or whatever but terry was like first of all he was making his living playing music so i could see somebody at that young age that was doing it and seemed very happy to me and the whole family was doing it and they seemed like a really cool happy family so that was important for me to see uh and then also him just introduced me to some other folks that steered me down a you know a similar path a guy named uh, brian hughes so at one point after a few years i was 13 or so terry said i want to i want to send you to somebody else because you're you, you you're getting you know to the point where i think somebody else can show you more than i can so brian is a uh, uh another instructor i went to well brian's uh played with all sorts of folks um uh, from canada and all over the world and produce records he's, he's a wonderful jazz guitar player he's got a great jazz career um he can kind of play all styles and you know he travels to you know, europe he goes to greece he goes all kinds of places and makes records with people and he's a producer and great guitar player so meeting these people that was just a my long-winded way of saying all this had a huge impact on me and i saw it was possible from a really young age to to have a career you know and and get up and, and, and play music maybe for a living you know and brian would actually get he had a club band in edmonton um that did mostly rock and pop covers and stuff and he would, I would sneak into the bars and he would get me up to play. And so I was like 14 and that was like huge. Almost I'm on stage with all these guys that are, right. you know, probably late twenties, mid thirties, something like that. And they're kind of cracking up with me, you know, as this little kid, you know, and then I'd play and I'd do okay, you know, and then I'd get the confidence to do more of that. And it was like, I had the bug. You know? Well, yeah, so the bug is, you know, once you get the bug, it sounded like, you know, you had it kind of instantly and things progress very quickly when you have that mindset and the obsession sets in and you know so what did your parents think when maybe it became obvious you know that this was <laughs> the way you were going <laughs> you know they were pretty cool overall i think my dad always wanted me to go in my dad having said that he listened to country and enjoyed music and stuff he didn't really understand anything about the music business or sure. have any awareness that seemed like a crazy idea to him um and my relationship with my dad was maybe fraught with some tension and stuff uh, for that and for other reasons like throughout my teen years mm -hmm. and then got much better later on I feel like but it took a while it took me I mean my dad I mean all the way I'd probably been on the tonight show like four times and and you know been on numerous tours and stuff and I would still go home and my dad would say what are you gonna do if this doesn't work out right yeah <laughs> I'd be like dad for better or for worse you know like I'm now like whatever in my early thirties or whatever I was, you know, and, uh, I'm a professional musician. <laughs> we yeah. need to learn how to relate yeah. you know, as two adults and I'm a professional musician. And, and, you know, at some point he was, I think he accepted it, but yeah. it was never maybe easy for him. Um, my mom was very supportive and, you know, drove me to guitar lessons. And then this is in Edmonton, like in the dead of winter when it's like maybe minus 30 outside or something. And she's sitting in the car outside for a half an hour waiting for me oh. while I go for yeah you know she was very very supportive uh, and i can clearly remember being 14 years old and getting the uh, mi catalog in the mail git and you know it, it's the mid 80s at this point git was a really really big deal um at that point with folks graduating uh frank and Bali or paul gilbert or these types of folks that you'd hear about coming through the school um and so i was reading the catalog and i was like I want to go to the school. This is what I want to do. I'm going to go to this school. Like, and my mom was like, you know, I'm not, I think I was home from lunch 
like from from uh, from uh, junior high, I think. You uh -huh. know, so I'm home. It's like twelve thirty. I'm reading the catalog while I'm eating my sandwich or whatever, getting ready to go back to school. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go to this. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. My mom was like, "Okay, well, if that's what you want to do, I think that's what you should do." You know, and, and it was like that. And I I wavered a little bit uh, throughout the next few years, but by the time I was eighteen, I was pretty dead set. That's what mm -hmm. I was going to do. And I just did it. It was like this focus of like this naive, uh, but very pure. Like, this is what I like to do. I've seen people do it for a living. They seem happy. It's a hell of a lot of fun. Why would I do anything else? I'm going to go do this, you know? Yeah. Of course, then I moved to LA and, you know, within a year or so, I'm doing things like rolling quarters for rent money, you know, like finding right. every, I can remember living on $13 one week. That's all I had for a week and I made it work, you know, like peanut butter and wonder bread and, you know, whatever I got from the store. And I just, I made it work. Um, and it, it wasn't, you know, I paid my dues for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, coming from, from Edmonton, not that it's, you know, completely impossible to have some sort of musical career and live there. But I mean, yeah. when you got to GIT, besides the fact that you maybe already knew you needed to be somewhere else if you wanted to do this for a living it must have been eye-opening to all of a sudden be surrounded by a ton of like-minded individuals who, who pretty much wanted what you wanted to go there yes. and, and grow as a musician but then to make a life out of it as well so i mean i, I mean it must be a pretty amazing environment i didn't go to college or anything like that so i can't relate a hundred percent but i'm sure that was really a great environment yeah, I mean, just really the city in general. That's part of what I loved about L.A. Well, OK, it, like it, it is possible to have a career like like someone like Terry in Edmonton um, right. playing music. There's plenty of musicians that have, you know, that have I'm sure come out of there and had great careers and, and, and been able to stay in Canada and do their thing. There's lots of examples of that. So not downplaying that. But as when you move to a music center from anywhere, uh, I wanted to take it to the wall. You know, I really wanted to like, I wanted to like be up on that stage. I wanted to go back to Edmonton and play, you know, at the Northlands Coliseum on that stage with somebody or be like, I'm going to play with these people that I see my heroes or whatever. I was like, I'm going to take this all the way. And yeah. uh, that's what I wanted to do, uh, even at 14. So it was like, um, I would just visualize that uh you know when i was younger like you know when you listen to music and you imagine you're in the band you're on stage <laughs> you know playing with the you know the artist that you're listening to i would always do that when i listen to music it's almost like i couldn't not do that i always i was always like visualizing that and um so then when i moved to la it was almost like yes it's for sure mi was the microcosm of the energy of la everybody moving to do something that they love in their crazy dream but la in general that's one of the great things about it is you got a lot of uh, writers and actors and, um, you know, even just people in the, in the film and TV and music industry that are, um, you know, doing other jobs, like folks move because that's what they want to do. They come to LA to pursue a crazy dream that might not seem, you know, viable in other places. And it's generally people that are really willing to put it on the line, at least for a while and take it to the wall and see what, see what happens. Um, so I loved that energy. You know, the downside of that is it's, it's a lot of narcissists in this town. <laughs> you know, and you do almost have to be like, there's a certain degree of self-absorbed and, you know, dedication because you just have to turn everything off and be like, I'm going to work on this song for the next three days and just that's all I'm going to do. That kind of yeah. focus. Um, and 
sometimes it's at the expense of of other things you know like you know people tend to have families later here and stuff like that and you know sometimes maybe not at all and that kind of thing so it's it's there's always this trade-off but but that there's a positive like your crazy dream or whatever you're surrounded by people doing it so it seems more normal i don't know if you felt this but like in my hometown uh, uh, there were some really great players but a lot of times people would be like there wasn't an urgency like oh i'm in a band we're gonna write some songs but we're gonna maybe do some recording next month we're gonna write a few tunes yeah. get a demo done that kind of you know and in la it's more like we're gonna write you know these tunes today we're gonna record tomorrow and it's gonna come and then we're gonna book gigs it's like a much faster pace and dedicated without getting distracted by life and it's you know it's just yeah being in the, it's an energy 100 percent. i mean you know you move here for a reason you know, and where I grew up, there was a little bit of a, I mean, there's a scene in, in Miami and Fort Lauderdale. It was a very big Latin music scene. And like the Estefans and that were huge when I was a kid. So there was a lot of that Miami Sound Machine thing going on. There were gigs that kind of were based out of that area. And there were a lot of good musicians because UM is such a good jazz school and music school. And there were a lot of yeah. guys going there and, and, and stuff. But, but yeah, I kind of knew even then too like you know if i wanted to make more than just you know playing at clubs every night during the week and doing the odd occasional session or thing that i had to go somewhere else. and like you said it wasn't that i couldn't make a living and be a professional musician there i could have it was to do the things i really wanted to do i had to go somewhere else yeah maybe like i know there's a lot of scenes in the country where there's a lot of covers going on or corporates or those types of bands that and you can make a great living going to doing that stuff but you're generally yeah. playing other people's music and doing you know that kind of thing if you want to make records and like play with like you know if you want to be a sideman play with the top i mean like you say there is a there is a scene for sure in miami that's like the latin scene and stuff but outside of that if you're maybe you're you know rock musician jazz musician country musician you kind of I think if you want to really go to the wall with it, you got to go elsewhere, maybe, you know, to uh, to pursue. So so while you were here going to GIT, I'm assuming obviously you're making friends. You maybe start playing gigs around town with different people, you know, whether it's just bands you start with your friends or start picking up the odd casual yeah. and the odd gig here and there. I think pretty quickly you probably know you're not going to leave here. Um, cause maybe you get that first taste of like a gig that actually pays some, some real money. You know, we know that feeling too. Uh, I mean, you had to have known right away, right? That this was it. You were, you had found your, your place. I did uh, at least initially and, um, you know, was really enjoying myself and, um, it did get difficult though. Uh, at, at times I, I joined a band, um, that I eventually ended up getting a record deal with. So it was with a, a friend of mine named Frank Symes, um, who was a, a really uh, powerful um, influence on me as well as a, a big help in me furthering my music career. But he, he was at the time, uh, had just gotten a gig with Mick Jagger uh, to do the Wandering Spirit solo album. Um, and he was also um, uh, Don Henley's musical director. So oh, wow. he, yeah, so he was like a heavy dude. And he toured with like Warren Zevon and like all these stuff. You know, he was he was like a real, he was late 30s at the time. And he, he was just a, 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 you know, really, really talented guy. Right. Um, so I got a gig and I, I went and auditioned. And that was through the MI Musicians Referral Service that I met Frank. 
and I went and auditioned for his original band because he was working at, well, once again, this energy in LA, of here's this guy with a gig with Don Hanley, Mick Jagger, also working on an original project at the same right, time. Right. That kind of, you know, thing was, the, I want to be around these people. So you got to go to LA to do that. So, uh, so he, he, I was very young. I was like uh, 19 or 20 and 20, I think. And um, he was nice enough to, you know, to, I went and auditioned. He liked what I did and I got in his band. And, but to just play and kind of, you know, uh, get practice and stuff like that. And just because that's what musicians do. They did a lot of gigs actually kind of right next to where you played in Pasadena the other day. We used to play all the time uh, at a place. It used to be a, a, a kind of pizza place bar called Dominico's, but it was literally next door to where you played at that, wow. uh, that's <laughs> the, the, the German bar in Pasadena the other day. Yeah. Um, and so we used to play there every Tuesday and, you know, uh, play an uh, uh, Arcadia and like all, all over the place. Cause it was kind of that like San Gabriel Valley, Pasadena area um, was where he lived and stuff. And so it was kind of centered out there, but so playing around a lot and doing these, you know, like uh, the, the thing that really had an impression on me with him was like, here's this guy that that's playing with uh, Mick Jagger and Don Hanley, but you'd pull up to these cover gigs where everybody was going to make 60 bucks a night or whatever. And, you know, he'd be humping the PA in and bringing in his 412 cabinet and setting it up with his high watt head and stuff and just like all of us. And then he would play. Uh, and he would always play exactly the same, no matter whether he was in front of four people or if 20,000 20, people, he just played with all this energy and like a kid, like kind of like excitement about playing guitar. And I was like, oh, light bulb went off. Like you don't play different when you're just playing a bar gig versus an arena gig. You play the same. And that's why you get to play the arena gig because of this yeah. energy. And you never know when people are going to, it's like the story about like when Van Halen got signed and there was nobody in the room, but they blew the away, you know, Ted Templeman and Mo yeah. and the folks that were there to watch him. So all these lessons I was learning, like, wow, he's, he's not too proud to, you know, uh, not, you know, he's, he's humping the PA, he's like making the same, you know, his, you know, a few bucks a night. We're basically doing this for practice and for fun, because that's what you do when you're a musician, you play for fun. So, you know, and for the love of it. And so I, I learned all that, but I, I will say that after um, a number of years, I was starting to get a little disillusioned because it it, it kind of wasn't taken off and I was struggling a bit, like just, uh, you know, it was difficult financially and stuff. So I was like, what am I going to do? And I actually, we, we had worked at this point, we'd written and demoed uh, 50 songs and we'd almost been signed by RCA, um, with just like this close to inking a deal and then it didn't end up working out. And, you know, we'd work, I'd learned a lot about songwriting and about how to use a compressor, how to use an EQ, how to mix and all this, mostly from mm -hmm. Frank spending all this time, like in his home studio, doing all this stuff. So I'd gotten a great education, but I was starting to become a little disillusioned and I decided I was going to go. I was like, I, I, I think I need another, like, and I, I kind of wanted to go home and I loved uh, Vancouver. Um, I loved the West coast of Canada. And so I had a place set up there to go to, uh, uh, or, you know, my friend he needed a roommate so now i've got a room in canada i'm like ready to go and you know i like actually give notice on my place and stuff and i'm, I'm gonna leave and i've got like two weeks before i'm supposed to go and i get a call and it's frank and he says i think we got a record deal <laughs> i was like what like we haven't even been actually actively playing that much in the last few months up leading up to that point it felt like it was nearing the end you know of right. this yeah. project like it wasn't gonna fly and what had happened was 
Frank was, uh, he grew up in Japan. He's half Japanese and he grew up actually speaking uh, Japanese as his first language. But he, his, his father was a, a, a lawyer for uh, the American uh, military. So he grew up on a, a military base with a, a Japanese mother and, you know, American, American father. And he learned fluent Japanese and he had no accent. And, uh, you know, as, as it is when you learn a language when you're really young, he had no accent in Japanese or in English. So he could, long story short, speak fluent, really great Japanese. And um, what had happened was that somebody had said, you know, you should translate a few songs into Japanese and sing them. And uh, I can try and get you a deal in Japan. If nothing works out in the States, then maybe, maybe you know, you can get a Japanese record deal. Well, I, we had done this and he, he had kind of gone and done it on his own, like just sang three of the tunes and sang sure. them. He translated them, sang them in Japanese, sent them off to Japan. And that had been like a year and a half earlier before this. And I just, I bar it was a blip in my memory that he'd gone and yeah. done that. Well, that's what, they, it, we got this call from Japan and it's like Sony in Japan wants to sign you guys. <laughs> and so this, this is how my love with Japan starts. Uh, the next thing I know, I'm on a plane to, to Tokyo and I'm sitting in an office at Sony in Japan. They're saying, we think you guys are going to be the future of Japanese music. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And it was just like, what is happening? Like, and I'd never been to Japan. It was just so like fun. I, I was like, okay, this is amazing. So we actually spent um, about 12 days over there or 14 days, something like that, almost two weeks, uh, you know, kind of working out this deal. And then also do, doing some writing with another Sony artist that um, ended up becoming very famous over there, Ami, Puffy, Yumi. It was like a duo, two two girls that uh, that got signed. They have, you know, huge hits in Japan and stuff. But she was on, Ami was the girl. She was like totally unknown at the time. So we wrote and recorded some stuff with her. So all of a sudden I'm doing this stuff and it's like, well, I can't leave now. I got this, you know, now, yeah. now this is, and I'd literally given up my place in LA and I had to move out and get another place because like, I, you know, give notice and it's like, yeah. Now so that's what happened, but it was really down to two weeks before I was going to, and my whole life would have been different. I wouldn't have probably done any of this stuff that's happened since, Yeah. but it's, it's wacky the way things can happen. I feel like I'm getting long winded today with these stories. Sorry. <laughs> it is, it is incredible how those things happen, you know, and you, you, you try your best to kind of, you know, manage what you're going to do with your life and plan out what you want to happen. And then, yeah, yeah one little thing changes everything. And you yeah. don't even realize it quite as much at the time. But when you look back, it's like, that changed the next 20 years of my life. You know, like, Exactly. Yeah. Somebody you meet. Because through Frank, you know, we did that deal. And then it, it didn't really like, it did okay over there. But it didn't, sure. you know, after a year and a half, it was kind of done. But now I'd, I'd had a deal and made some money. And I was able to move on and do other things. And uh, But you're absolutely right. Like a few years later, actually, Frank called me and asked me if I wanted to audition for Don Henley's band. And I went and did that um, and didn't get the gig that time. But I was like the runner up for the gig. Right. The keyboard player that I actually brought into the audition got the gig. Uh, and a number of years later, 2009, he has now become Hanley's MD as well as the Eagles MD. He <laughs> calls me in 2009 and says, hey, you want to come back and audition for Don again? <laughs> and I went down and got the gig that time. So between when I met Frank, which is 91 and 2009. Frank was the reason that I ended up with that Henley gig. I mean, partially, you know, the initial, you know, but yeah. there's 19 yeah. years of span there of, of time yeah. before. I, and then I end up playing with Don, taking his place in the band, actually, when he ended up going to play with Roger Dalton. So right. crazy, crazy. But you're absolutely, that's it. One person you meet, one band you get in can affect your whole 
somebody you meet in pass and it's wild you know how it pans out it is, it is wild so now that you've kind of you know i guess yeah you've probably had some time over these last two years to think about all that stuff a little bit more to look back at all the tours you've done and all the the things you've done since you've been here was it like a blur you know when it was going on i mean because you you go from this tour to that tour and i didn't do nearly as much as you did but i did a decent amount of that you know jumping from tour to tour and going out on the road and it was a blur to me i can't imagine what it was like to you going from all those tours back to back because you have this need to like you got to keep up the income obviously and and be responsible and you know you get yourself into certain situations in in here in la that you need to be able to handle um yeah but it's it's like this you know we all know you have that great year and then the okay year and then the really great year and then an okay year you know and and did it just fly by you know and and yeah, yeah. it kind of did like a lot of it i i see videos now of gigs um especially with chris cornell because we played so much uh I see videos and I'm like, that's me, but I don't remember that, you know, mm -hmm. like where it's like, and, and it bothers me a little bit, to be honest, because I'm like, well, I mean, the one thing I will say is to always try and be present when you're in the moment and playing yeah. and remembering that it's not always going to be there, you know, especially when somebody like Chris, who's, who's now gone, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's like, don't take it for granted. And really when you're having a, you know, even if you're not having a great time, like appreciate it all. Cause you at least you're up there playing music and it's like, it will, end at some point um every gig comes to an end and it's like i, I miss i miss that guy so much and playing with him that's a good yeah. that feels like a blur that period i remember a lot of it but you probably had that where you see yourself you know right on stage or some video and you're like what the hell is that gig and like you know like i yeah there's you know, a lot in like my mind watching somebody else <laughs> a lot in my mind some of the touring stuff felt like oh that was i toured with that person forever and then i look back at like calendar books and stuff and it's like i toured with that person for four months out of my life you know what i mean like it's not that much you know but it feels like a major moment of life you know each one of those things and yeah it's yeah. weird yeah it's very you weird. know jimmy page in in that movie it might get loud he says every moment on stage we were totally living and I totally related with that when he said that, ah, that's what it's like. You're really in the moment. But I, th I was taking it as he was being present. He felt really alive and in the, you're not waiting for the next thing. You're not mm. lamenting something about the past. That's impossible on stage in the moment with your, you are in the moment. And that's sometimes if you're a little zoned out or in a bad mood or not feeling the mix or like something, I can get a little in my own head. And I'm like, sure, forget that. Like, just remember you're on stage and it's this, and that you're, this is, you're, you're living, you're, you, this is it. <laughs> you've, yeah. you've arrived to this moment and you're alive and it really feels like you're present. Uh, as long as you've tuned into it, it's, it's just, you just have to tap into it and always, that's my goal. Like on stage is to really be, I love that feeling, man. No, that's the no. best feeling. The best feeling. So, yeah. okay. So when you, okay. When you start, doing what you do a lot now, which is, I guess, for lack of a better word, content creation, you know, um, was it just out of fun to initially yeah. start it? Was it out of necessity? Because I mean, you were working a lot already. I remember yeah, when you yeah. first started doing some of these videos, gear videos, at least, that you were on the road a lot still and doing things in between. Was it just like, you know, I'm going to pick this up kind of casually? 
and you know it just kind of turned into what it turns into which i'm familiar with how that happens but i assume it just had to be kind of like a you know i'm gonna do a little bit of this thing exactly really was just for fun i mean the first if you look at the very first videos i uploaded to youtube it's me like playing my comet amp super loud I know, the, I know that video yeah <laughs> yeah just like hey check out this amp and like kind of, you know it's funny because i just did one of the train wreck a couple weeks ago here and that was so fun but um you know that lineage of amps and just turning up an amp really loud okay, here's something that people on youtube might like you know right, rock right. this thing and, uh it really was like i had no idea what i was i like teaching um so i put up some lessons and mm. uh and and I, I quickly saw that like oh this is cool because you can I, I had taught a lot of private lessons and you teach and then if it's not being videoed or recorded it just goes out into the ether and the student maybe picks up hopefully five or ten or twenty percent of what you taught them but you sure. know kind of they go home and probably forget some of it if they didn't record it well this way it's archived and there it is and not only that you teach it once and then it lives there forever and a lot of other people can benefit from it like for forever because it's just it's a document and it's so that like oh this is a much 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 more efficient way you know of getting across an idea that i've taught maybe you know 400 times in individual lessons here's this thing check out this concept now i can just do it once and then show it to exponentially more people so that became really clear to me right away that that was a, a that that made a lot of sense um but it really was just a haphazard thing that um i would have thought more about uh had i you know had the to know what youtube was going to become you know like sure. i would have because because when you watch channels now uh that are really you know some of the best channels out there really big channels have folks like rick beato or you know yeah. um i mean even you getting into it at the stage that you got into it it was pretty developed and i think you were like well here's my concept for my channel a little bit maybe like uh at least maybe maybe i mean you tell me like initially maybe it was like oh, i'll just have some fun but then you're quickly probably like i mean you know the, the flat five show stuff so like you you got these concepts you're like i i can see yes. the way i want to develop this for my thing yeah, but it was more because I'd seen what other guys like you and Rick and guys have done. It felt like I can't just throw this shit out the wall and hope it sticks. I need to have some idea relatively quickly. Plus, I was I was more excited about it at that moment when I was first started doing them. So I wanted to try to put some effort in and see what I can come up with, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that um, the most successful folks at it uh, tend to have a good idea and a concept before they begin and then like with anything i guess like with the song or well, i guess the songs kind of come out of nowhere but um maybe it's more like a direction for an album or something or a direction for a tour okay, yeah. yeah here's our theme for this tour you know it's going to be about you know i remember doing a tour with don where it was like it was in the fall it was in october and he's like let's do a fall theme tour you know so everything from the lighting to the stage to the songs that he picked for the first half of the first set he did some really cool covers it was all fall themed <laughs> so something right. like that where you've got an idea and a concept and you 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 know uh as opposed to just kind of throwing things at the, at the wall which is fun too but um you know i remember paul david saying to me once have an idea always have an idea don't make a video if you don't have an idea like and i think he just meant like a you know, the way it's going to look, what it's going to be about, the everything down to the thumbnail, down to the like mm -hmm. the concept. He's really brilliant that way with his videos. Um, th this YouTube community, uh, I will say, it's a really fun, um, different way of being creative that I do enjoy. 
that I that I really enjoy. Yes. Some of the folks I've met, um, you know, folks like Paul, folks like Rick, sure, yeah, uh, you know, Adam Neely. I mean, there's some really brilliant, talented people. Adam's like a fascinating guy. Um, that I just, you know, it's like wow, he's a young guy and he's so smart and so musically you know, just adept and, and skilled and, and he makes really beautiful videos too. So it's like a different skill set. Oh yeah. Um, that I've really enjoyed getting into. And I, I feel like it's kind of like, it's also very empowering because you're not working for anybody. You're doing your own thing, uh, sure, yeah. you, which is a great thing. It gives you the feeling of independence and not having to take work that you, cause you mentioned a little bit earlier that you can have an up year and a down year and an up year. And that was what like touring for me was always like, when you've, you know, job security is knowing what you're doing for the next three months, you know, most yeah, people yeah. maybe can't relate to that. Maybe during the pandemic, it's become more like common that folks out there can, can relate to that. But, you know, we're constantly searching for work our whole lives, basically. When you feel a tour as, as a sideman winding down and you, you're, you're always gauging what the artist is saying, are we going to make a record? Are we going to like, what's going to happen next year? Right. And many times you, you just get that sense, like, I think this is coming to a close <laughs> yeah, and like, and then you're like putting in the calls going, Hey, uh, you know, I'm going to be looking. Cause everybody always assumes if you're a road musician that you're working when you're gone, like, so they don't call you for things. Oh, he's in that band. He's got a gig. Right. It's like, you got to get out there and put the, you know, start beating the street. Hey, I'm, I'm sort of watching for something, you know, if you hear of anything and that cycle can get a little exhausting after 10 or 15 or 20 years, I think. So the YouTube thing was, I, I don't take it lightly that that's the thing that actually gave me the freedom to not be on that treadmill all the time and be able to take a little bit more control of my life as, an, as sort of an independent contractor doing things. And, uh, you know, because I'd make a lot of videos for companies and things like that, but it's yeah. like the, there's an endless amount of guitar pedals and gear and things that come out all the time. And it's going to be everybody from somebody in you know their garage in Greece or something making a, a handmade pedal to boss, you know, yeah. to, you know, or to Fender. So it's like, there's this worldwide, you know, you know, plug-in company in Russia or, you know, different. It's just, just so, I'm just so thankful for that. And uh, it's, what you said it's about, you know, the, the treadmill of the sideman thing and the up and down. Yeah. It's not that you don't want to be on the road and that you prefer this to that and that you you did this just so you could not do that it's not that at all you did no, this no. just to avoid the up and down of that you know and to have stability and be a responsible human being which is that's such a positive thing like you know it's like we want that stuff and it gives you the freedom now to do the things you really want to do and not just yeah. constantly be calling people and knocking down doors and you know you, you've done some stuff on your own that helps you be stable, which is, I yeah. mean, not too much to ask, but it's very difficult in our business. It is. As a musician, it's a, you know, it's just a difficult uh, path to choose when it comes to stability and being able to buy a home and provide for a family and all these things that most people want. So it's like, um, yeah, it gives you that extra measure and layer of uh, security and independence from being in that treadmill. And you're absolutely right. I still love doing that stuff. But now if I don't, if, the, if I want to take some time off, there's been a lot of talk recently, like in the, uh, you know, the Olympics and stuff about mental health. Yeah. And, uh, of course, with the pandemic, about mental health, like taking care of your own state of mind. Man, I mean, how many musicians do I know that went through the ringer in relationships and stuff because they always needed a gig or to travel to make money. 
it's so hard on a relationship and on a family and it can be very difficult. So now you can, you know, you can pick and choose a little bit more and, and decide and be a little bit more. Cause man, I mean, used to be when I, you know, made it plenty of times to come along where it's like, Hey, here's this amazing gig. Um, it's going to be France for the next six months and you can't go home. Right. <laughs> Want to do yeah. it. It's a lot of money. It's like going to be a lot of fun. It's like great, you know, but it's like, you're like, uh, six months yeah and it's like and, and i did i went and of course I go, I go and do it and i have a great time and it's like the memories of you know but it's it's not not stressful on your personal life if you've got a relationship and stuff it's, it's it takes a toll so it just gives you a little bit more freedom to pick and choose you know because it can get to the point if all you do is tour where um you're you'll take pretty much i mean you know just about anything over losing your home yes so you know, so uh, you'll go, you'll just go. And it's like, that's, it's, a, it's, there's, it's always a trade-off. So that's uh, just, here we are. Real life. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the reality. Always a trade-off, man. I mean, so how do you feel about like, kind of, you know, this is a ridiculous question, but how do you feel about, you know, where you've ended up and the balance you've been able to create? You know, is it something that, you know, you obviously you didn't go into it knowing this was where you were going to be or what you're going to be doing. But, yeah. you know, is it something you're like at peace with? Is it is there still ways you want to change, you know, moving forward, how you balance it out? All, obviously, also, that's influenced by what's going on in our world right now. But how do you how do you feel about it when you sit and think about it now? I'm pretty happy, man. I mean, it feels good. I feel like uh, kind of because most of the touring I did over the last um eight years or so uh was mostly uh with foreign artists mm -hmm. so i got a french gig and then i got a japanese gig the year after that which means artists based in those countries and so i'm going over there and working mostly in europe and then you know in japan then i got another french gig you know and so uh, all of a sudden these tours were taking me out of the country a lot and 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 working elsewhere well i took myself out of maybe the u.s touring like the art is it like a network you know that yeah. mds and folks that that work uh, that where you find out about things you know um mm -hmm. just through the grapevine so um that's the only thing is i feel like i took myself out of that a little bit and i don't want that to be the case i want to have some of those options so now i'm sort of actively trying to rekindle some of those you know relationships and stuff and let people know i'm available i'd love to do some other uh some other work in the u.s as well not just outside of the country with different artists so just working on that it's always a once again it's a balance you know um but having said that and and there's some great things happening on that front but having having said that i feel really good like about where i'm at especially i mean man i mean during the pandemic uh having the youtube it's just like this was amazing to have to do during during these times when so many of my friends yeah. were not in good shape you know with 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 no work and trying to figure it out and so mm. i'm lucky man i mean i'm one of the lucky ones i can't say that enough you know honestly um and and that said it's interesting like through i've kind of found myself in this place through all my heroes like all the folks that I grew up listening to and and really loving and enjoying were big influences on me i know all these guys now yeah it's cr it's crazy they've all become friends and it's like um you know and and i i, I talk to them often and stuff and it's like 
I think I've arrived. Like, this is where I wanted to be, you know, like I wanted to, to, to it, t- it took a long time to kind of get to that place maybe, but it's, it's so uh, satisfying for me because it's just like, this is what I loved when I was 13 or 14 and now I'm here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so um, it, yeah. it's, it is so crazy, man. Like, I think you're of these interviews I've done the flat five interviews. I think you're the 62nd one that I've done. Wow, that's a lot. Now, they haven't all been released yet. I think I'm on 51 releases at the moment or something. I haven't missed a week until last week since the entire pandemic when I launched. So, but I purposely skipped last week, and I'll tell people why later. But, um, and, but I look at the list of all my friends, and they are, like, literally everyone on this list is someone I know. If, if, if half of that list, if I would have told the kid myself per version of myself i would know these people and they would be my friends it's ridiculous to me completely ridiculous yeah yeah yeah. it's inspiring i think because you can do it you know it's like you want to be there you can do it you can you know you can get there and uh and and be you know i tell people now the uh kind of funny like i mentioned that the very first song i learned on the guitar was i can't explain by the who and you know, those power chords had, all, you know, just that impact of seeing Pete, like at that yeah. age, the early 80s, you know, it was right around the time when The Who took their first kind of hiatus and sure, Kenny sure. was drumming in the band then, but I guess they decided to, you know, to they, the, the, this was going to be a farewell tour. Well, of course, they ended up coming back and stuff later, but, you know, eight, nine years later, they get back together, but um, they just had so much impact on me at that age. Well, I mentioned that Frank went to play with Roger Daltrey. Uh, you know, a little while ago in a solo band. When he did that, he hit me up and said, I'm putting a band together for Roger now. Do you know some like keyboard players, bass player and, and folks? And I gave him some names yeah. um, and recommended some folks like Lauren Gold, John Button. Well, those guys got the gig. Yeah. And so now they're playing with Roger. Well, Lauren then got the gig in The Who playing keys. And then when Pino left to go tour with uh, John Mayer in 2017, uh they just it's like folks from rogers band with a natural fit to slip right into touring with the who so now john button's a bass player in the who mm-hmm. well the who was the first music i ever learned on the guitar i referred the bass player <laughs> that's in the band now <laughs> yeah yeah i mean if that is not full friggin' circle i don't know what is you know and it just like it, that blows my mind that like you know wow i had a little bit of some kind of impact on the band that was like my initial it was the beatles and the who was yeah. my thing you know? yeah. and it's and ridiculous. now that friend of mine is up there playing bass in that band <laughs> well dude and and you said a small world with all these connections here now i mean i, I toured with lauren for a year you know what i mean ah there you go gigs, yeah. you know and and yeah. lauren actually did a song for roger here at this studio for a project oh, wow, that has wow. not come out like we tracked this song for him for this record that hasn't been released yet but yeah it's like it is it's such a small world how all that happens it really is you find yourself yeah it gets smaller and smaller and you you know and everybody's kind of the same it's like roll music everybody's in it to have fun and play music and what we love and you realize that your heroes are pretty much like that's why they started too you know and uh, yeah. it's, it's a really amazing crazy man it's cool and it all makes sense you know it all makes sense that but uh yeah it's beautiful it is beautiful, man. <laughs> All right. After a, a slight wardrobe malfunction, we are now going to jump into the 10 questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number one, 
Dudes, you, you talked about it actually yesterday, what the first thing was. So you probably already have the answer to this, but do you remember, you know, the first riff that when you figured it out, you were hooked going back, there was no going back. It had to be Can't Explain, right? Yeah. I mean, the fact that I could play that and it sounded like music, it's like, oh, that is the song. That's exactly how that song sounds, you know, was like when that light bulb went off. And that was also a informed me instantly just through experience about how to teach and get kids hooked because it was like if they could make music on their first lesson you know come, uh come as you are by nirvana or yeah. that metallica song that's all open strings you know or whatever it was that they were into if you could show somebody something that sounded like they were like oh my god i'm doing it like yeah you know yeah. that was really important i think to, yeah. to getting hooked yeah it's like a it's like you learned a magic trick you know what yep. i mean it just feels so so kind of special and it is it's like there's no going back after that moment you either you either hooked or you're not you know yeah, yeah yep do you remember the first solo you ever like fell in love with and had to learn note for note once you started soloing a solo that i had to learn you know i uh think about that for a minute but my first band i can remember learning like songs like should i stay or should i go by the clash and like, uh, I, I, I just can't remember the first solo I learned. I remember learning Stairway to Heaven on my sister's nylon string guitar that she had borrowed, like it was like a rental from school. Wow. And, uh, and so I can remember learning that, but I don't remember learning. So, uh, I don't, I don't remember the first guitar solo I ever learned. It was a lot of songs. I was into learning actually the, you know, if I could make it sound like the song, like I say, like Stairway to Heaven, if I could just pick through those first few chords ah, get the chain oh there it is the finger picking that was like magic to me yeah so. okay well then that's one and two so three uh what's the first thing you play every time you pick up a guitar your hands just go autopilot anywhere without even thinking about it yeah i i, I generally speaking i find i need to warm up uh to do anything so i suck when i first pick up a guitar generally speaking so i'll just kind of start moving my fingers and doing like you know it's probably automatically goes to some sort of scale picking chromatic thing that just starts to get the blood flowing in my fingers that's where i normally go and i find that it takes me a good 15 minutes maybe 20 to get mm -hmm. to the point where i feel like oh there it is there's my now i'm at whatever level of technical facility that I can <laughs> muster it's like there it is but in initially and I also have um like I've always had issues with my hands being a little bit problematic like if I pick up and I try and do too much too fast I'll get like nerve stuff or popping in my and I find the blood flow into my hands helps alleviate that so I take it easy when I first pick up a guitar and I've just kind of instinctively that's uh, so that I don't you know do that to my hands and um so it's it's nothing exciting when I first pick up a guitar, that's for sure. Well, what about like when you're, you know, at sound check and you flip standby for the first time on some back line and you don't know what you're going to get? What do you play? You know, we all have like that little thing we do that just lets you know if we're all right or not. You know what I mean? It's, it's probably an A chord and a big Led Zeppelin riff or something. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like you just hit that make sure everything's working, let all the strings ring thing. But there's nothing to me like a good solid A. Yeah. <laughs> Accord for me. Is it is it working? You know, if you do that, you're in good shape. Nice. Yeah. All right, number four. 
what key, style, song, or groove is the most like frequent visitor just in your mind when you're, you know, cooking or walking around or driving when you're not listening to music? What what just lives in there the most? For me, I hear a shuffle very, very often all the time. If I'm not doing anything, that's what sneaks in. What what sneaks in the most for you? For me, it's like riffs. Um, I do a lot of writing when I'm not like sometimes I'll think of a riff and it's usually like more interesting than something I might do if I had the guitar in my hands initially. So right. like, you know, like I right away, like I'll start thinking, I'm thinking like, like a groove like this and that, uh, or that tempo. And I found a katana, but I don't know. Probably like an F, it sounds like F sharp to me, you know, like a, some riff and I'll go, uh, they just like, come out of nowhere sometimes and i'm like what's that riff and then i'll sing it into my phone and then i'll go find it on the guitar later mm. but it's a lot of rock it, it's really like riffy page influenced or you know i guess van halen meets page meets acdc meets whatever but that's why <laughs> you know right. i hear riffs all the time and, and grooves you know yeah like a groove that, that I, I i like the, i'll hear the drums and then the riff comes after that it's like oh yeah it just, just comes out of nowhere <laughs> so there's so a b-side to that question having worked so much you know as just a working guitar player when you first hear a piece of music you've never heard before are you able to listen to it just for sheer enjoyment anymore or are you immediately dissecting how you would have to learn it if you had to learn it or what you would play on it if you were on a session you know <laughs> I, i've been wondering about that a lot myself lately and i've kind of the pandemic has been a lot of forcing myself to listen again not in work mode which i found i wasn't doing anymore yeah, that's a great point. Um, it's part of why I listen to a lot of non-guitar based music for enjoyment sometimes, uh, because I really enjoy not knowing what's going on. Right. And, uh, listening is a, you know, it's like, I can imagine if you watch as a filmmaker, uh, you're all oh, the cinematography or, oh God, the costumes are great or not so great or whatever. Like the things we don't think about when we're not professional sure. filmmakers, mm -hmm. just enjoy, you know, uh, without always analyzing. We always, you know, it's, so I, I totally get what you're saying. Um, it's it's uh it, it's funny it's as a, as a listener we're always trying to find um ways to categorize things oh they that, this new band i heard they sound kind of like blah blah right yeah. uh, you know without letting it just be its own thing you know uh and we're also trying to i i, I tend to think many times um i hear things as a writer like oh i wished it had gone here now to this place and I can hear it in my head where this should have been a B section or a bridge or something here. And I do that. And that's, that's hard. But when it's a perfect song, I tell you what, I listened to that new John Mayer record uh, a while ago. I didn't have any of that. And that's guitar. You know, he's writing from a guitar perspective, the way harmonically the chords are moving and, and maybe because I really, uh, you know, it's, he's a guitar player and he's a great songwriter. And so all that resonates with me, but the way that he, he's a, I know he's a very uh, John Shanks mentioned something to me a little while ago about that that he sat with uh, with Mayer at one point they were thinking about doing something together some project and John came in and uh, him from a producer standpoint was listening to John play songs maybe on acoustic I think in, in mm. his face and and just he was he goes I was looking for the the problems and there was none he played me about five six songs solo acoustic and it was just like that uh, that well there it is <laughs> that's it and so you know 
what did what, that's an intangible but maybe a lot of music used to be like that i mean i man when i listen to an old hall and oats track or something i'm never like ah it should have gone there or whatever or you know you listen to radiohead i'm never like ah, i wish it would have done that or whatever it's just like perfect and there is that thing these days where i'll hear it and it'll be um uh, i sound like i'm bagging on new, new music because i don't want to too much i think there's great new stuff out there too but you know many times it's like uh i find stuff a little pedestrian and safe maybe yeah, yeah. you know and and when i don't hear that and i it's refreshing and i'll, I'll give john a nod for that because i think that a lot of the nice. tunes on that new uh uh you know let's go what's that one song called why you no love me <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's right. like that yeah. song's really cool <laughs> or what's the other one there's one called deep blue or something that's really cool something, something blue yeah yeah I know yeah i love mean. that i mean just great so I, I just listened to it and i got lost i was like this is so good you know so anyways hats off to him when we don't when we don't feel those things and analyze it how could it be better and how could it, it's great when you hear something where that doesn't isn't your yeah yeah it's I, I mean that's i've i've forced myself the last six months to I, I actually don't do it here in the studio because i felt like i'm sitting in here i'm always in some sort and sort of headspace so i built like a little place to listen to music back inside the house and i forced myself to just sit down and listen to uh, to vinyl again and just in general even if it's streaming and just listen so like that record was one i just sat down and listened to it top to bottom sitting in a chair you know what i mean yeah, and yeah. yeah it helps me because normally something comes on and i immediately either start analyzing it or the other side of it is i start improvising over it in my head you know what mm -hmm. i mean and yeah. it's like yeah i'd rather just listen I love that you brought that up because I think about these things too. And also like when you go see a band live, not to go straight into a critical mode of what's wrong, or maybe if you are going to think about what do I think about this and analyze, you come up with, if they're not very good, find the thing that's great because there is something. It could yeah, be the always. big player's shirt. That guy looks cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever it is, just go to the positive because there's always something good. That's a great drummer or whatever. Not so the rest, but focus on the thing you like, like that positive uh, thing is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's always something yeah yeah there's always something good even with the it, you yeah. know the bad thing could be that they're it, that it's so offensive or whatever that i find it refreshing or whatever yeah. that it's like god they've got a lot of balls to get up and do this you know or whatever yeah, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice yeah. all right number five um when did you feel like maybe you started to find your voice on the instrument or do you feel that way at all like was there any moments of clarity where it was like oh this is interesting and i kind of feel like this is what i'm meant to do or what i should sound like and i go further that way you know you know it was really just doing my records um like when i realized i kind of have a sound uh like there's a thing where stylistically i know like you know it's me and so i hear you, you hear yourself all the time but i go well that sounds like me you know it's a great feeling like uh it's why I can do things like now really enjoy putting up like little, you know, snippets of me playing a, like a Uli Roth flick like I did the other day on Instagram. Yeah, I saw Van it. Halen. Yeah. I can go in full Van Halen mode and just like enjoy because I know I'm not like uh, uh, like ripping off in, you know, like Eddie Van Halen or whatever in the car. Like writing gave me the freedom to, you know what I mean? And, and putting out music. It's like, well, because anytime anybody accuses me of like, you know oh you're just trying to sound like or whatever do like whatever it's like well i do have two records out you know that don't actually sound anything like that so you can yeah. go it, it's this freeing thing where it's like here's what i do it's my stamp of like now i can go be a sideman in other bands or do this gig or do that job or 
have some fun playing some Van Halen or whatever. And it's just like a fun, that's like one aspect of what you do, but it was really just releasing the albums. And then mm-hmm. I guess maybe six months later, a year later, whatever it takes to get a little distance from it. Then you come back and listen to it. And you're like, you maybe hear things you would have done different or whatever, but sure. if, you know, you're your own worst critic before you put it out and you put it out and hopefully you're proud of it. You listen to it and you're like, ah, good job. <laughs> yeah. That was, it was hard work to pat yourself on the back a little bit, you know, and you've got a thing, you've got a little sound, you know, so. Yeah. 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 Nice. Uh, number six, what do you consider your biggest weakness on the guitar? Oh, dude, what you do, living in that improv land of being, just my vocabulary. Some people say, oh, wow, you can do so many things, like stylistically, and I'm like, and I always appreciate that, but I don't feel like I'm, uh, you know, like someone like you, I feel like has a really deep knowledge. When I hear you talk, I, it's just apparent. And when I see you play and hear you play, it's apparent. Um, I, I'm a little bit more of a street ear player uh, and I don't know what I'm doing a lot of the time. So I just, I guess just getting a little bit more into that flow of, and, and living in that improv world, like you do, that's my, that's my biggest, um, deficiency on the instrument is being able to really express myself in the, that head to hands. And, you know, that, that thing that you're so great at, you know, is, oh. is something where I'm, I'm not as great at that, you know, and I, I could, I could stand to, 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 uh, you know, theoretically and also um application do that more so that i could live in that land a little bit more it's what i think when david gilmore talks about jeff beck he's like i'm a guitar player he's a guitar player but he does a a thing that's he's living on that edge all the time of that improvisational i mean the thing that jeff does and dave's like i don't like that's he's got a great admiration for because dave will be a much more uh not copying note for but you know a lot of those solos that he plays are like you know, yeah it, gilmore's an interesting cat because he's like it's blues sort of you know very blues based but a lot of it is either written or at least maybe learned after he cut the solos and repeated you know it is very you know what he's he's someone who's fascinated me because as as a guy who has a legion of people who he's their guy you know or yep. all these guys gilmore's a guy you know, he is, it's very composed what he plays while still having a ton of emotion to it, which is very difficult to do. Yeah. That's the thing. It's a little like uh Felder's kind of like that. I mean, he, you know, to me, it's a, like improv. It's, it's amazing. Like improv is the ultimate, you know, expression watching somebody like you or Landau, like being able to speak through the guitar in an instant. It's like, it's a, ta- it's like, it's part of their being, you know? like that is so magical to me and no two things are ever the same uh and then you've got some of the greatest solos of all time like comfortably numb or or uh you know uh hotel california or whatever which is obviously composed and that's equally as valid so it's like it's really interesting it's a little more like classical music i guess where you're just interpreting a uh, sure you know, play what's on the page sort of thing you know but you do it with emotion and the right you know intention and it's very enjoyable too well yeah and it is i mean you know, there's a difference even when you go watch classical music. Some sometimes you see a guy play a piece perfectly and you feel nothing. Other times you see a guy play a piece perfectly, but oh my God, it's like you feel it right here. What's yeah. the? It's the same thing, you know. Like Brian May, you know, it doesn't matter how many times I hear him play the solo to, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody. It, it's like wow, because he puts inflection on it. He's playing it in the moment, even though it's super composed, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's a, like a singer singing a great melody. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I guess to me, that's the best solos are um, they're like a, 
they're not necessarily like you know it's a part of the song in a melodic i mean there's hotel california and it's so you know it's you know when we think of hotel california the vocal melody is pretty static actually like, yeah, not, yeah. Not, you know not a dark desert highway cool wind in my hair it's two notes yeah. warm yeah. smell like a lead <laughs> right and, but then you've got all this beautiful harmonic movement going through it and then the solos and the, the guitar harmonies and stuff are really where a lot of that the 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 interesting melodicism in the song actually is like right so yeah, it's a fascinating thing that way and so some of the best solos you know to me are definitely uh yeah, that's and the Eagles is great. That's actually there's so many good ones there. I can't tell you why, and like all these beautiful so, guitar parts. Yeah. Anyway. yeah, yeah. I've been I've gotten in fights with a lot of my more you know snobby musos about the Eagles because I'm a guy who who likes the Eagles, and you know you know there's a lot of us who are like you know not Eagles fans. I never understand that. You know. Yeah, well, you've got a great. I mean, you know, your outlook on so many of these things is so positive that, you know, like I say, like your whole outlook on Nam kind of turned me around. <laughs> you know, you're like, hey, man, there's guitars there. All my friends are there. It's, it's, they're there. For, yeah, I go all four days. I love it. And I was like, God, that's healthy. Like, that's because every, oh, Nam, now I'm in Nam. Really? Well, it's funny. It's I fun. started. To, I noticed that so much from so many of my friends. They would start complaining before they yeah. even got to Nam the first day. Oh fuck! I gotta go to Nam. I gotta shake this guy's hand and thank <laughs> guys. And I'm like, you mean you have to thank these guys for giving you free guitars and for putting exactly. you in a guitar magazine? And you gotta yeah. shake people's hands who like what you do and see all your friends. It's like it's the best. I love it's that. So awful. Yeah. Oh god, it sounds like heartbreaking. It's like go get a, go dig a ditch and then come back and talk. To exactly. <laughs> no, oh, really, you were the one. You really. You, you, it's kind of like I was saying about uh, find. You know what's cool about the band? Well, the bass player's shirt is great. Like, just turn around your way of thinking about you know and realize <laughs> you know, it's not the. That's funny, man. The end of the world. No, I. Hang with I still friends. love it. I think it's because the first time I went, it was a bar mitzvah gift for my thirteenth birthday. I flew out here from Florida uh -huh. and went with my uncle. And as a 13-year-old guitar player, obsessive guitar player, I was just, it felt like I was in heaven. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, Disneyland. I literally yeah. bumped into Brian Setzer, turned around, and then bumped into Steve Morse. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, this is like, the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. 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 Man, did I ever tell you about, before, I, I'm sorry to interrupt for questions, but the first time I went, I flew down to go in a, uh, as a, I was working in a music shop in Canada. I would have been nine, 18, I think. Uh -huh. And I got to go and I was so excited and everybody from the store wore suits. So I had to wear a suit, which I was bummed about, but I was like, whatever, I'll wear a suit. I don't care. Right. <laughs> and so I wore a suit and I got up my first day to go and, and we'd flown into LA the day before and we'd gone to a hockey game and I ate a hot dog at the, uh, at the forum, I remember. And so here I am, the kid from Canada, it's fun. I'm in LA, I'm at the forum watching a game or doing a NAM the next day. Well, I wake up the next day. Oh, oh and I'm like, oh no, I gotta, I gotta go to the show. And I made it all the way to the Hilton, and I ran into the back hallway, found a trash can, and just hurled the trash oh, can. God. <laughs> and I had the brutal food poisoning. And I know it was that fucking hot dog, you know. But anyways, I, I, I got uh, a taxi. I had to get a cab back to my hotel, and I couldn't go. Like, imagine me for, like, you know, I've been a guitar obsessed my whole teenage. This is Nam. Here we go. I just went back to the hotel. I could barely stand, and I, oh. I got in bed and. But it was a 24-hour thing. So the next day, Friday or whatever, I was up, ready to go, put on my damn suit, and went to Nam. So. <laughs> but that sucked that first day, not being able to go. Arena hot dogs, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Uh, number seven. I'm curious about this. Who's a big influence on your guitar playing that like people would be surprised to hear is big for you? Hmm. Surprised to hear. Well, I mean, it could be um, like the, I went through a big Albert Lee phase where he, you know, really knocked me out. And I bought like an instructional book and a cassette. I remember an Albert Lee cassette and started learning all these licks, you know, <laughs> like and sort of playing through simple changes and doing those fast country licks. That was like something I worked on for a while and I really enjoyed. Um, some other players, maybe the Sex Pistols, like, you know, the whole Steve Jones, just kind of like uh, hearing that record at 10 or 11 and just like, what is this music? Like that was so explosive and crazy. So mm -hmm. that that was one to the, the, the other right there. Uh, what about, um, that's two good ones. I mean, I kind of listened to everything. I absorbed a lot of it and really liked it. And I saw the similarities between, I mean, certainly like something like The Who and Steve Jones, like the, the Pistols was just like a more raw version of that aggressive expression of, right. you know. So uh, anyways, but that's a couple, I would say. Nice. All right, I'm going to adapt number eight to fit you specifically. Because normally I say, would you rather have a, a good guitar and a shitty amp or vice versa? So I'll, I'll ask you in a gig situation, would you rather have a Pete Thorne signature Sur guitar into a JC120? Or would you rather have some shit guitar into a PT100 amp? Mm. I feel like the amp is actually more vital. Um if your guitar won't stay in tune, then you got real problems. So yeah. like everybody's always like, you know, like tone this pickups, that and stuff. I'm like, does it intonate? Can you get it in tune? Cause if you yeah. can, it doesn't matter the rest of it. Yeah. So I just sort of, uh, so let's say it's an intonatable squire into yep. your Pete Thorne signature amp or your Pete Thorne signature guitar into a crate or a JC 120 on a gig, which scenario is better for you? Yeah, probably the, I'll probably take that Squire into the uh, the amp because the amp to me is such a like the speaker is just the cabinet is fifty percent of the sound that shapes the overall yes. thing you know oh. um, with the one twenty it's like mm, I'm gonna be I mean you ever have those friends in the eighties that ran pedals into a JC one twenty oh yes was, I did yeah yeah <laughs> it's like a certain kind of heinous that was you know no guitar will fix but you got a good amp with a Squire you're it's pretty I can make good sounds with that I just remember without naming names, being in high school, I have a good friend who we were the same age and we were get, starting to play gigs. I mean, I was playing gigs already. He started a band with other high school friends of ours and he went to go buy his first real amp loud enough for gigs, non-practice amp, and, and around the same time I did. So I bought a Silverface Pro Reverb because I was smart uh, and, and he bought a JC120 <laughs> and he was playing these gigs with like Les Paul Tube Screamer into JC120, and it was horrendous, horrendous. <laughs> yeah, and I couldn't understand, like, dude, what made you buy this amp? And he's like, well, it's loud, it's really loud and clean. I'm like, yeah, it's really loud. Shit. <laughs> yeah. He got rid of it pretty quick. I think it only lasted a couple months, and he, his parents were mad. He took a hit on it to trade it back at the music store. It was a new one, you know what I mean? Yeah. And what did he get? Then he got, I think he got a Hot Rod DeVille or something like that. They had just come out, maybe the first oh, okay. one. Yeah. yeah. Workable. Yeah. There you go. <laughs>
All right, number nine. And by the way, I'm with you 100% on the amp. I always answer amp, not guitar. Although it's been split in like 60 of these interviews, I'm, I, I bet it's 50-50. If I can get it in tune, I almost prefer... Okay, here's the one thing about guitars for me. I'm really picky about like... Um, if the guitar set up good, like, and it's one of my, so if it's a nice guitar with a good setup, I'm great. If it's a nice guitar, but the neck is a little bowed or something, and I'm like, ah, and it bothers me all night, it sucks. But if I've got a Squire, as long as it'll be in tune, even if the actions, like, I'd almost prefer that it's like, okay, like your guitar's got 13s. I'd almost prefer like a different, like it's got, if it's got higher action and kind of hard to play, okay, I can make this work. I will just play differently. I'll play more deliberate it's like picking up one of michael thompson's guitars if you've ever done that it's like the action's like a slide guitar and uh you know it's and he's like yeah i like that it makes me play more deliberate slows me down like makes me play and i'm like i kind of got it when i played his guitar it's like oh yeah it's so far off the realm of easy to play that you 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 almost in some ways play better because it's more you play with more intention a little bit more vibrato you know and it's kind of cool in a way it absolutely ratchets up your concentration, which is never a bad thing. And, yep. and, and when people ask me, it's one of the reasons I play the heavy strings I do. It's not the main reason, but I do like the mindset required to play them, especially on a gig. It's like, well, when I pick up and feel it, it's like, yep, I can't phone this one in. I just got to I gotta play hard, you know, I got to play. Yeah. yeah, sure. All right, number nine. What keeps you pushing and learning new things and growing as a guitarist because i mean when you've done as much as you've done and you worked with as many people been as successful as you are and, and at least you're a working musician you've have you know no matter if it's the success level you wanted to reach you have had some success we're, we're lucky to a lot of degrees so what keeps you you know putting in the time to work on new shit and grow i still get fired up like the other day that i mentioned the Uli roth thing i i put it on the other day i was actually trying to come up with inspiration for a, a video that i'm doing and i thought why don't i go back and listen to some old let's go back and listen to some old hard rock and metal and stuff so i put on some scorpions and i hadn't listened to that in a long time and i was listening to uli and uh i was like i gotta learn that right now you know and i just pick up yeah. the guitar it's the same thing that it always was for me I, like when i was 14 it's just like oh you know get the guitar and just like that's so badass. And then I put it in transcribe, start slowing it down. It's like, it's like a thing I don't even think about. Like, it's still just the same as it always was. It's just that uh, excitement about, Ooh, what's he doing? You know? And then you want to, it's like, a, it's like putting together a puzzle, you know? And then if you can get it, you play it. Ah, there it is. You know, you see me do it in the video. Actually, it's on IG, you know, and I, yep, I put it yep, up I saw it. Yeah. a couple of days ago and it, it's like, I'm just like, damn boy. Cause I'm, I'm really like excited about it. You know, it's fun. Yeah. I don't know. That's just my, that's where uh, my happy place <laughs> it is it is i mean I, it's when i think about it it's just i hope it never goes away because it is it's such a uh, an important part of my life like i i just want that feeling all the time and now it's not even just guitar anymore like it used to be when i was a kid it's you know i put on a record and it may be oh my god how am i going to get that kick drum sound i gotta figure out how to get that kick drum sound i'm gonna go yeah. out to the studio right now and record myself playing kick drum and and try to get that sound you know and and any as long as those moments keep happening we're good you know yeah we're good man i mean that's the, that's it the, i feel the same way about recording engineering or about you know coming up with cool drum sounds or i really enjoy it like it's just like it's like painting when you're a kid finger painting or whatever you're doing you're just throwing things at the wall and you're like what can i do you know that it's 
it's so much fun and I hope it, I do too. I hope it never goes away, but it never has for me. It's so that's always the, I guess I always had a healthy appreciation of that's the magic time. Like the most fun is when you're listening to the mix you just did of the song that you yeah. recorded that hopefully if it wasn't a laborious, you know, uh, you know, task or whatever that, you know, and you're listening back and you're not thinking about like, Oh, we got to put this out. And is it a hit? And is it, you know, you're not thinking about any of that. You're just like, listen to what we did. It's so cool. Like for you. Yeah. yeah it is so, so cool. It will. So during this pandemic, didn't you find it interesting? Cause I'm, I'm assuming you probably have some friends. I definitely have some friends who for the first year, I have some friends who didn't play just like, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm not playing. And it was, I couldn't understand like, well, don't you just need to play for you? You know, just yeah. because you have to. And some of my friends were not that way. And that took me by surprise. Yeah. Well, I think I get it in some ways if there isn't a purpose or, or a, uh, it, they just feel inspired. So I've had some friends that said that, you know, and I don't understand that necessarily because I haven't been there, but uh, I, I understand it in another way. If it's like, um, if you're just not feeling like, that's your thing right now it can be good to go do something else i guess for a minute you know go take up cycling or like you know go do something that you know because it, it'll probably come back but i know what you mean it for it's for me you know what i mean that's always been my get lost uh it's 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 my therapy it's like um i remember john five talking about it in an interview once uh where he said i i just have to kind of play every day because it uh he, he I, I can't remember if he said he suffers from certain sort of you know anxiety or whatever it was but he, he mentioned that guitar for him has always been a, a therapy of sorts you know that I, he just has to play because it and i get that it takes your it requires it's, it's like meditating it requires 100 percent of your focus yeah. and you don't have all this extraneous stuff coming in from you know the world and giving you making you anxious or whatever it requires your focus and you know how you can play and like you could be in a bad mood or have something going on and then you get inspired or focused on something you're working on it and a half an hour later you forgot about that thing you're in a different mood you're in a different headspace yes. gigs are like that for me too when i get on stage as long as everything's working good and the sound is pretty good i start playing i could have had a shitty day or whatever i get on stage start playing after the third song that's all gone yeah you know and uh, you're in this other so it's it's so therapeutic you know <laughs> yeah i mean it's always been for me if i'm in a really good mood what do I want to do to continue that? I want to go pick up my guitar. I'm really in a great mood. I want to go play. You know, if I'm in a really bad mood, what am I going to do to make myself feel better? I'm going to play guitar. You know what I mean? Like yep. that's, it just, that's the way it's always been, but I, everybody's different, you know? Yeah. It's super therapeutic. It really yeah. is. It's my happy place too. You know? It's my, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Get right. immersed. And I was just talking about on my live stream actually a little bit earlier about, um, I was talking to Chris Cornell once about, uh, like because he was like this too he was really like you know um like at the heart he was just loved creating and writing songs and working on things and stuff and i said you ever forget to pee like you ever forget to go to the bathroom you know because you're so in it that it you've almost turned off your you forget how hungry you are until you're ravenously hungry or you forget you keep pushing it keeping it at bay because you're just so excited like working on this idea or mixing or whatever it is and and you're like oh my god i'm literally gonna like wet my pants but don't run to the bathroom right now you know i do that <laughs> forget you know yeah i don't do that but i forget to eat all the time that's yeah. my biggest one like i just wait a minute i've been out here for eight hours i haven't eaten anything yet today like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That happens a lot yeah. yeah yeah oh all right well number 10 where do you want to be 
five years from now? Like, what do you see? Do you, uh, do you have a checklist? Are you a guy who makes goals, a list of goals that needs to be accomplished? Or is it more just continue what's going on and kind of, you know, go with the flow? Um, I'm pretty happy with the direction I've been going. I would love to have another tour or a few tours under my belt of, you know, cool, fun stuff that I, we, we talked a little bit earlier about stuff yeah. that, uh, you know, being able to pick and choose a little more. Um, so just some fun. I want to, I want to continue on that path. I'm not done those things. Um, but also I'm at that point in my life where I'm like, I'm feeling pretty responsible these days with like, you know, just financially and trying to keep myself on a good path so that I'm not yeah. abusive to myself in my old age. <laughs> so that I'm like, you know, uh, setting myself up a little bit to be like, you know, uh, okay in that respect regard. So I feel like I'm uh, making decisions that feel good in, in that sense. Whereas maybe as musicians were reckless for a number of years, like, you know, we don't have health insurance or we're, oh, we're young though. It's okay. And then it's like, at some point you're like, ah, I should probably take care of this. And, start yeah. thinking about putting some money away for a rainy day and things like that so i've been spending time on that stuff too so just kind of continuing on um i've been really lucky like the synergy between my work and being able to make a living at it and uh you know have a good time and then also funnel that into that side like business wise and personal so i'm just like kind of everything i do is kind of a focus on like let's make sure that we're okay later on down the road and stuff like that and so i'm, I'm just kind of I'm, I'm kind of enjoying that uh aspect of life right now being a grown-up and like you know and so but having said that like i don't have kids and uh so that's another thing like where uh you know completely kind of open to like that being you know it's like it just kind of i don't feel like it's now or never but sort of like you know you get to yeah, a certain yeah. age and I don't want to be like 80 years old and driving a kid to college colleges, you know, looking around like that just doesn't, that doesn't seem like a good idea. So you want to have right. the energy and, and stuff to, so if I'm going to do that, that's another thing. So I'm thinking about all these things, like, you know, it's time for to kind of settle down a little bit and whatnot too. Well, I'm, I'm very focused on continuing doing what I do and love uh, and, um, you know, furthering, this is, you know, I've, I've really gone, uh, far into developing some signature gear and you know the amplifiers the guitars pickups and certain things that way and i really enjoy that too so all that is continuing and yeah. um i like that aspect too and i want to do more of that because it feels good to me you know that's because yeah. i love guitars and pickups yeah yeah <laughs> so working oh. on that probably well, we'll do doing another easy. album you know uh it's probably about time to start or at least an ep um you know to come up soon within the next you know little while here i i don't even i'm not even sure that a, that full albums are the best way to do things anymore it's like a lot of pressure to come up with 11 or 12 songs and do the whole you know and 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 you kind of put it out and then maybe two weeks later everybody's moved on to something else that's just the world we live in so yeah i almost think like singles or eps like on a more regular basis is kind of the way to go and so i look that feels good to me to think about we that yeah, you need to keep, keep continued interaction happening and, you know, keep people connected to you. And it's like, yeah, you put out a record and then wait a year or two years for another record. Yeah. It doesn't happen. Whereas if you take that same record and put out one song a month for a year, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's better. And then what if you do that? Forward. And then when you get to 10 songs, you bundle it with an 11th and finally release it as an album with right. some sort of special package or something and there was your record you know uh yeah. i think that makes a lot of sense 
Yeah. That being said, I'm probably about to release another record on its own, you know, and not do it do it that way, even though I'm preaching it, because it, it's hard to get yourself out of the romantic, nostalgic feeling of making a record and having it be a complete statement and all of that. I think you almost have to make a head shift of even recording the songs and writing the songs with the intent of having them be individual things you know what i mean I, i'm that's that's where i'm kind of seeing myself going if i go yeah. that way you're talking about is just treating every song almost like its own project and pr uh promoting it and releasing it like its own project absolutely i mean we talked about john's record it's this 80s theme as a yeah. whole you know and so that makes sense to do that as a record mm -hmm. it would, what we're talking about wouldn't have made as much sense you know it's cool yeah. the way that he did it and packaged it with the sticker on the front that says yeah. nice price and <laughs> all that like all those references that only guys that are old enough like us get. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah. Yeah. Like my that. son will have no idea what any of those references are. <laughs> yeah. On Columbia Records and Tapes. Yeah, exactly. I love that he did that. Yeah. I was waiting for him to have a Columbia House uh, kind of ad or something. Like, you know, buy John Mayer's record and get 10 other records for a penny. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know. I'll never forget seeing uh, Stuart Ham play a gig in L.A in the uh the 90s and he he got up on stage he played a couple of songs at the roxy i remember and he after a couple of songs he said well everybody congratulate me i signed a big record deal today I signed a 10 album deal with columbia records <laughs> everybody's clapping wow 10 album deal that's crazy he's like yep you know you buy one you get another uh 10 for a penny <laughs> yep and then every month you get that tape whether you want it or not <laughs> that's right yeah oh. so funny that was a good joke uh, I did it though. I'm sure you did it, right? I think I did, yeah. And probably, you know, and then you're roped in, you know. I remember getting my shipment and opening it up and having this is gonna oh man, I'm I'm outing myself right now. But okay. I had Warrant, Dangerous Toys, uh Enough's Enough, Slaughter, like it was, you know, the whole box full of eighties terribleness, but whatever. <laughs> what it was. Hey, come on now, some of that's pretty enough's enough's pretty cool. <laughs> what was their song? I can't even remember that song. I don't. I don't remember. I can't. Do you remember Dangerous that. Toys though? Come they, on. They were more like, uh, you know, it was more Chicago. Wasn't it? Wasn't enough enough? A little more like, like you know, like eighties tricks or like you know, like it had a little bit more of a. They had a little yeah. bit of a Beatley thing going on. Yeah, it was a little more glam and and like yeah, yeah poppy. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. yeah, Dangerous Toys. This was getting into the late eighties, where you know it was like. When, when uh, no slag on any of those bands or anything, but you know, when when it happened, when Soundgarden and everybody came along, it kind of needed to happen. It was, yeah, everybody needed to be taken behind the woodshed at that point. A little, little, <laughs> little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice, man. Well, we, we reached the end of the 10 questions. Um, I'll have links to all things Pete Thorne in the body of this video. So please support Pete, buy his guitars and his amps and his records and subscribe to his channel, of course, here on YouTube. Um, dude, thank you for doing this, man. Always a pleasure getting to chat and nice to know more of your story now. Yeah, man. Hey, I really appreciate it. This was super fun. And uh, any, anytime you want to have me, I, uh, you know, I'd love to be on your show or, uh, you know, it's great. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. And uh, if you're not a ruler, you should become a ruler or at least subscribe to the channel now. Uh, because if you are a ruler, you get, uh, you know, exclusive videos and all sorts of shit. So, but dude, thank you, man. And, uh, that's it. We made it. Awesome.
Thanks, guys.